0: Chapter 4. Book 1. Of Rookwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Paul Curran. Rookwood. By William Harrison Ainsworth. Book 1. Chapter 4. The Hall. "'I am right against my house, seat of my ancestors. "'Yorkshire Tragedy. "'Rookwood Place was a fine, old, irregular pile "'of considerable size, "'presenting a rich, picturesque outline "'with its innumerable gable-ends, "'its fantastical coins, "'and tall crest of twisted chimneys. "'There was no uniformity of style about the building,' yet the general effect was pleasing and beautiful. Its very irregularity constituted a charm. Nothing except convenience had been consulted in its construction. Additions had from time to time been made to it, but everything dropped into its proper place, and, without apparent effort or design, grew into an ornament and heightened the beauty of the whole. It was, in short, one of those glorious manorial houses that sometimes unexpectedly greet us in our wanderings, and gladden us like the discovery of a hidden treasure. Some such ancestral hall we have occasionally encountered in unlooked-for quarters, in our native country of Lancaster, or in its smiling sister-shire, and never without feelings of intense delight, rejoicing to behold the freshness of its antiquity and the greenness of its old age, for be it observed in passing a Cheshire or Lancashire hall, time-honoured though it be, with its often-renovated black-and-white squares, fancifully filled up with trefoils and quarterfoils, rosettes and other figures, seems to bear its years so lightly that its age, so far from detracting its beauty, only lends it a grace. And the same mansion, to all outward appearance, fresh and perfect as it existed in the days of good old Queen Bess, may be seen in admirable preservation in the days of the youthful Victoria. Such is Bramall, such Morton, and many other we might instance. The former of these houses may perhaps be instanced as the best specimen of its class, and in its class, in our opinion, is the best to be met with in Cheshire, considered with reference either to the finished decoration of its exterior, rich in the chequered colouring we have alluded to, preserved with a care and neatness almost Dutch, to the consistent taste exhibited by its possessor to the restoration and maintenance of all its original and truly national beauty within doors. As an illustration of old English hospitality, that real hearty hospitality, for which the squirearchy of this country was once so famous, ah, why have they bartered it for other customs less substantially English? It may be mentioned that a road conducted the passenger directly through the great hall of this house, literally, of entertainment, where, if he listed, Strong Ale and other refreshments awaited his acceptance, and courted his stay. Well might old King, the Cheshire historian, in the pride of his honest heart exclaim, I know diverse men, who are but farmers, that in their housekeeping may compare with a lord, or baron, in some countries beyond the seas. Yea, "'Although I named a higher degree, I were able to justify it. "'We have no such golden farmers in these degenerate days.' "'The mansion was originally built by Sir Ranulph de Rookwood, "'or, as it was then written, Rokewood, first of the name, a stout Yorkist who flourished in the reign of Edward the Fourth, "'and received the fair domain and broad lands upon which the edifice was raised "'from his sovereign in reward for good service.' retiring thither in the decline of life at the close of the wars of the roses to sequestrate himself from scenes of strife and to consult his spiritual weal in the erection and endowment of the neighbouring church it was of mixed architecture and combined the peculiarities of each successive era retaining some of the sterner features of earlier days the period ere yet the embattled manor house peculiar to the reigns of the later Henrys had been merged into the graceful and peaceable hall, the residence of the Rookwoods had early anticipated the gentler characteristics of a later day, though it could boast little of that exuberance of external ornament, luxuriance of design, and prodigality of beauty which, under the sway of the virgin queen, distinguished the residence of the wealthier English landowner and rendered the hall of Elizabeth, properly so called, the pride and boast of our domestic architecture. The site selected by Sir Ranulph for his habitation had been already occupied by a vast fabric of oak, which he in part removed, though some vestiges might still be traced of that ancient pile. A massive edifice succeeded, with gate and tower, court and moat complete, "'substantially enough, one would have thought, "'to have endured for centuries. "'But even this ponderous structure grew into misuse, "'and Sir Ranulph's successors, remodelling, repairing, "'almost rebuilding the whole mansion, "'in the end so metamorphosed its aspect "'that at last little of its original and distinctive character remained. "'Still, as we have said before, it was a fine old house. "'Though some changes had taken place for the worse,' which could not be readily pardoned by the eye of taste, as, for instance, the deep embayed windows had dwindled into modernized casements of lighter construction. The wide porch, with its flight of steps leading to the great hall of entrance, had yielded to a narrow door, and the broad, quadrangular court was succeeded by a gravel drive. Yet, despite all these changes, the house of the Rookwoods, for an old house, and after all, what is like an old house, "'was no undesirable or uncongenial abode "'for any worshipful country gentleman "'who had a great estate. "'The hall was situated near the base "'of a gently declining hill, "'terminating a noble avenue of limes, "'and partially embosomed in an immemorial wood "'of the same timber, "'which had given its name to the family "'that dwelt amongst its rook-haunted shades. "'Descending the avenue,' at the point of access afforded by a road that wound down the hillside, towards a village distant about half a mile, as you advanced, the eye was first arrested by a singular octagonal turret of brick, of more recent construction than the house, and in all probability occupying the place where the gateway stood of yore. This tower rose to a height corresponding with the roof of the mansion, and was embellished on the side facing the house with a flamingly gilt dial, peering, like an impudent observer at all that passed within doors. Two apartments, which it contained, were appropriated to the house porter. Despoiled of its martial honors, the gateway still displayed the achievements of the family, the rook and the fatal branch, carved in granite, which had resisted the storms of two centuries, though stained green with moss, and mapped over with lichens. To the left, overgrown with ivy and peeping out from a tuft of trees, appeared the hoary summit of a dovecot, indicating the near neighbourhood of an ancient barn, contemporary with the earliest dwelling-house, and of a little world of offices and outbuildings buried in the thickness of the foliage. To the right was the garden, the plaisance of the place, formal, precise, old-fashioned, artificial, yet Exquisite. For commend us to the bygone, beautiful English garden, really a garden, not that mixture of park, meadow and wilderness brought up to one's very windows, which, since the days of the innovators, Kent and his bold associates, Capability Brown and Co., has obtained so largely, this was a garden. There might be seen the stately terraces such as Watto and our own Wilson in his earlier works painted, the trim alleys exhibiting all the triumphs of Tropiarian art, the sidelong walls of shaven yew, the holly's prickly arms, trimmed into the high arcades, the tonsile box, woven mosaic mode of many a curl, around the figured carpet of the lawn. The gayest of paters, the greenest of lawns, with its admonitory sundial, its marble basin in the centre, its fountain, and its conched water-god, the quaint summer-house, surmounted with its gilt vein, the statue, glimmering from out its covert of leaves, the cool cascade, the urns, the bowers, and a hundred luxuries besides, suggested and contrived by art to render nature most enjoyable, and to enhance the recreative delights of home out of doors, for such a garden should be, with least sacrifice of indoor comfort and convenience. When Epicurus to the world had taught That pleasure was the chiefest good, And was perhaps, I the right if rightly understood, His life he to his doctrine brought, And in his garden's shade That sovereign pleasure sought. All these delights Might once have been enjoyed, But at the time of which we write, This fair garden was for the most part A waste, Ill-kept and unregarded The gay tares were disfigured with weeds, grass grew on the gravel walk, several of the urns were overthrown, the hour upon the sundial was untold, the fountain was choked up, and the smooth, shaven lawn only rescued, it would seem, from the general fate, that it might answer the purpose of a bowling green, as the implements of that game, scattered about, plainly testified. Diverging from the garden to the house... We have before remarked that the more ancient and characteristic features of the place had been, for the most part, destroyed, less by the hand of time than to suit the tastes of different proprietors. This, however, was not so observable in the eastern wing which overlooked the garden. Here might be discerned many indications of its antiquity, the strength and solidity of the walls, which had not been, as elsewhere, massed with brickwork, the low Tudor arches, the mullioned bars of the windows all attested its age. The wing was occupied by an upper and a lower gallery, communicating with suites of chambers, for the most part deserted, except in one or two which were used as dormitories, and another little room on the ground floor, with an oriel window opening upon the lawn, and commanding the prospect beyond, a favourite resort of the late Sir Piers. The interior was curious for his honeycomb ceiling, "'deeply moulded in plaster with the arms and alliances of the Rookwoods. "'In the centre was the royal blazon of Elizabeth, "'who had once honoured the hall with a visit during a progress, "'and whose cipher, E.R., was also displayed upon the immense plate of iron "'which formed the fire-grate. "'To return, for a moment, to the garden, "'which we linger about as a bee around a flower, "'below the lawn there was another terrace, Edged by a low balustrade of stone, commanding a lovely view of the park, water, and woodland, high-hanging woods waved in the foreground, and an exquisite sweep of flat champagne country stretched out to meet a line of blue, hazy hills bounding the distant horizon. End of chapter four, book one.